Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is behind the scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. Last week, we spoke with Mac Headley, the master cabinet maker at Colonial Williamsburg, and this week, we continue the conversation with Mac. When you are building something, how do you make sure it's authentic? Well, using the original objects as our uh, standard for apprentices and in, and in educating an apprentice, that's one of the most difficult things to do is how do you uh, impart to someone what your expectations are. And, and for us, it's easy. We just point to the original objects and say your things are supposed to end up looking like this uh, when they're successful. Do you use pictures or, or real things if you can? Well, the best uh, is to have the physical object. Uh, mm -hmm. in the shop and collections is very generous with uh, bringing in uh, antiques and we will have them sitting on the floor beside us and and be able to answer questions immediately mm -hmm. and uh, after you get you brought up apprentices let me keep going with that how long does it take and how much do they have to learn and how difficult is it um, well um, the 18th century training period is stipulated as seven years back in England. We got a real shortage of workmen in the colonies in the 18th century, so they let guardians and apprentices negotiate, uh, guardians and, and apprentices and masters negotiate whatever they fair, think is fair between them, and, and it can be you know, five years. It's, mm -hmm. it's not an unusual period. Um, it's running, uh, our training system today is running about the same um, in time. Our goal is to be able to uh, run uh, uh, someone through uh, a five-year training period and, and uh, starting out with the most fundamental processes, uh, how to make a board flat, how to square up an end, uh, how to read a rule, um, and, um, and how to work and what to expect from the raw materials and the nature and shrinkage properties of wood. and. All those basics and, and basic tools, uh, assembling uh, first uh, a box, learning to cut a dovetail, um, working up to tables, learning post and rail type mortise and tenon construction, and then that eventually to chairs, uh, uh, more and more complex and sophisticated uh, tolerances and, and, and decorative demands. So before you move on to the next step, you have to pretty well master what was required for the first step. Yes. So that's, it really is hands-on. You, you do it until you get it right, and then you move on to something else. That's our system. Yeah, you were talking about wood and, and the shrinkage properties and the things you have to learn about it. Uh, 21st century wood is not 18th century wood. Is there any difference? Do you have to learn different things, or, or is it similar enough that it doesn't matter? Mm. Well, I think with furniture, um, the problems uh, many people have from uh, old growth trees versus second growth trees are not going to come into uh, a, a problem for 18th century furniture. We're often selecting pieces of wood for beauty and variety of grain um, and uh, those with interesting figure also have uh, um, uh, 
interesting distortions in their shrinkage patterns. Wood is, is interesting. It's constantly shrinking and swelling across width of grain and moves no significant amount along length of grain. Uh, and when the grain begins to swirl in all directions, that gets confused. And it's interesting and it's beautiful, but you need to learn with learn to work with um, these inconsistencies. Uh, uh, so from that perspective, we can get wood just as inconsistent today as they had in the 18th century. Speaking of wood, do you have a favorite? I know that many cabinet makers like to work with one thing and don't like to work with another, but will if you have to. Uh, what's your favorite wood? Well, I think the woods that uh, 18th century customers gravitated to uh, were, they were looking for things uh, uh, with beauty, they like very fine grain wood. These things also tend to uh, work very crisply with a good steel cutting edge. Uh, and um, oh, also some woods are more stable than others, uh, tend to shrink less than others. Uh, and uh, I think the probably what was used most often in this area in the 18th century is still my favorite, uh, American black walnut. Um, now, I think in many ways the imported mahogany is uh, a little easier to work uh, and, and probably the most, one of the most stable of all the furniture woods, um, but um, it has a very kind of irritating dust, um, which is uh, just kind of caustic. You're talking about a good steel cutting edge. I am assuming that everything you use in the 18th century cabinet making shop is an 18th century tool. Is that correct? Uh, we have good reproductions of 18th century. Oh, I'm sorry, reproduction. Yeah. Uh, if it lasted from then until now, there's a tool for you. You know, something worth taking care of. We're... Uh, do people like the the tools? Do the people like to look at them and ask about them and then you know see if they you know would work the same as you know. Well, I think there's a lot of interest in, in the tools on the visitor's part, and, and the, the tools are, oh, something that uh, most folks can relate to. The, the basic uh, ergonomics of uh, a hand tool is, you know, is very, very old. A, a Roman cabinet maker would recognize what uh, our 18th century counterparts are taking care of, it, and in turn our, our modern folks uh, uh, can as well. The, the, I guess the nicest thing about our 18th century tools that has changed is, is that the older tools just were more comfortable when men really had to make their living. And even, 18, even 19th century hand tools um, uh, are not as comfortable as 18th century ones. The machines are beginning to come into play. Uh, things are mechanizing all uh, aspects, and a tool is just a, a, something you pick up and do a little trimming with and set aside. Uh, but an 18th century plane, for instance, a man is working with hour after hour, and and uh, it's um, uh, well that end saws uh, are just um, just suited to. Yeah, that to, that had not occurred to me, but modern workmen are using power tools so the the comfort of the hand tool is not nearly so important as it would have been to an 18th century cabinet maker. He couldn't have an uncomfortable tool. Well, not when you're working with hours, the uh, yeah, hours of and hours of labor with a physical tool, the, the blisters or the calluses or, <laughs> or whatever are uh, going to add up. You, you mentioned uh, earlier a woodworking symposium that you get things ready for. You were talking about you were getting 
some chairs and things ready for a woodworking symposium. And I, I didn't get to ask you about it. What is the woodworking symposium? Well, well, we had a good many requests over many years of, uh, for us to do workshops. Um, and we've tried some small uh, operations where we could handle six or eight people at a time uh, with real hands-on activities. And, and uh, that has kind of grown into a very large presentation where we invite uh, enthusiasts, hobbyists, and, and serious woodworkers uh, to explore a particular topic of aspect of, of cabinet making. We've been doing this for the last eight years. Uh, last year we focused specifically on making chairs. But rather than the attendants being able to work at the bench with us, um, we have um, experts in, in different areas. Last year it was Windsor chair making, and we did the fancy uh, stylish chair making. Uh, and um, we actually try to demonstrate the physical uh, uh, production of chairs. And then there's a, a very close-up video uh, camera looking over our shoulders, and it's and we. Uh, afford a couple hundred people at a time. Yeah, I was thinking uh, we're not doing this for six to eight. Yeah, yeah. Now it's it's gotten it's gotten pretty large, but they are like they're looking over your shoulder at the bench, and and it's a pretty open affair too. Uh, there are questions from the crowd, and and we just are with a bunch of like-minded woodworking enthusiasts, and uh, you know, just talking about 18th century uh, cabinet making. Or I can see how you would get a few people with an interest in 18th century cabinet making. I'm having a little more difficulty focusing on a couple of hundred. <laughs> well, we do this twice, so there are two couple of hundreds. Yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. So it's twice a year. And uh, th th that much enthusiasm for it. Well, yes, I, uh, there has been a great, great deal. Yeah, there are a lot of very serious uh, uh, hobbyists and, oh, yeah, this uh, I think the handworking that Williamsburg is in all the the trades is trying to preserve or or rediscover uh, is um, it's not economically practical, but the uh, satisfaction and I think the and the, the possibilities with uh, hand tools are just um, just too enticing. You can do things that are just impossible with the machines are fast at simple things. <laughs> but when you want to get to, uh, into sophisticated structure or, or design work, you really need to go back to the, the subtlety of hand uh, control. Okay, we've got two groups of 200 or so each of enthusiasts and hobbyists. Let's go to the other end. What do the kids think about it? Well, the young uh, school groups that we uh, have come through are, um, I guess I'm trying to think of what they are most drawn to as they uh, look through the, uh, the shop and the, the wear room. They, I guess the most common question is, how much does it cost, <laughs> which uh, is, uh, is kind of the, the most common wear room uh, question. Oh, yeah. and then, Why did I expect uh, that? <laughs> um, and in the workroom, uh, I think it is most easily uh, to get them involved in, the, in the, the activity and the physical rhythm of the work. They seem to be drawn to that when you know, left to their own devices. It's a Do you ever get a kid who says that's not the way my daddy does it? <laughs> well, um, yeah, on a, a occasion, yeah, mm -hmm. the kids will come in and, and uh, well, many of them do have fathers that do uh, hand work, and as, 
I mentioned some of the basics in a small shop operation. You know, I, I think kids whose fathers do do some woodworking, um, there's a lot familiar there. Um, but then I, I guess the, uh, uh, you know, the missing whine of a, you know, a plug-in router is a kind of a nice thing not to uh, uh, be intruding into the, into the place. Yeah, well, I, I suppose it is, but, but you've got to admit, uh, every once in a while, the whine of a router is a very comforting sound in the 21st century. Uh, not quite as nice as the, the sound of a molding plane cutting over the, making the same shape. And doing it more efficiently, I should think. But uh, Well, doing it with uh, greater versatility. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Check history.org often. We'll post more for you to download and hear.